Hi, welcome to Lead a Horse to Water. My name is Howard Paley, educator, storyteller. Our podcast is about mentorship and leadership and what we can learn from each other. This week's guest combines two of my favorite things, creativity and baseball. Today's discussion with Nate Fish focused on so many different things that I loved, and he alluded to a quote from Van Gogh. And Van Gogh wrote a letter to his brother Theo, and in this letter he said, It is good to love many things, for therein lies the true strength. And whoever loves much, performs much. And what is done in love is well done. Well, Nate, our discussion revealed that what you do, you bring much love to. And your excellence is seen in the breadth of your work, not just the depth of your work. And I'd like everybody to take a look at a a digital time capsule that Nate is a part of. It's called Footprint Family App. Check it out at Google Play or on the App Store or go to footprintfamily.app to learn more. But today is about learning from Nate and today we thirst for knowledge. On to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Today I'd like to welcome a son, a husband, a father, a poet. That's right, you can find his books on Amazon. He's a visual artist. Uh, my personal favorite that I'll share on the podcast is uh, a, a sculpture uh, he did called Sculpture for the Dead, Living, and the Unborn. I love that one. Uh, he's an entrepreneur that is making a difference for young people with uh, uh, with a new application called Footprint about helping our families, and I hope I get to hear a little bit about that. He's also a baseball player. He coached Team, team Israel. Uh, he is uh, in the Shaker Heights Alumni Hall of Fame. And also, let's point out, he was a Little League field maintenance and groundskeeper. I'd like to welcome to the show Nate Fish. Welcome, Nate. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Howard. No, I love I love digging deep on those intros and, and knowing that you've delivered for Donato's and say, if you go back to Shaker Heights, do you still get the pizza? How do you know all this stuff, man? I, <laughs> you really did some research, huh? You know, I just like it because I think it puts us in a place of remembering that we are all of these things, these versions of ourselves. That's who we are is is we always uh, sometimes we get pigeonholed into Howard's a teacher or Nate's a baseball player. But we are these broad people. And so uh, reminding yourself that you got to hit Donato's when you're in Shaker Heights. And <laughs> you want to sneak in. So uh, as we as we get started today, uh, and, and I know I'm going to hit you with the four questions, but tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you'd like to share. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I sort of don't know where to start. You got me thinking about Shaker Heights and Donato's. Um, originally, <laughs> though, I'm from uh, from a very, very small town in New England called Setford, Vermont. Um, spent many, many years living in Hanover, New Hampshire, right across the Connecticut River from Setford. Um, family ended up moving to Cleveland, Ohio, which was good for me for my baseball life. There were just a lot more athletic opportunities there. Um, we moved to a place called Shaker Heights, which was really, it, it has been an important, uh, place for me. Um, so played high school baseball at, at Shaker, um, went and co- played college baseball at the university of Cincinnati. One of my college teammates is good friend, another well-known 
um, Jewish baseball player, Kevin Euclid, um, better, <laughs> I shouldn't even say another well-known, um, oh, yeah, much, better, better known than me. <laughs> much better known than me, um, uh, after college, played in Europe for a couple of years, um, moved to New York City to become an artist, I didn't, wasn't really sure what that meant at the time, um, but it was sort of a full pivot for me, kept coaching and playing, played in Europe for a few years. Um, ended up playing in Israel in 2007. There was a professional baseball league in Israel called the Israel Baseball League that ultimately failed in a sense uh, in that it didn't continue. Um, but that was my introduction to Israel baseball um, and ended up over the years uh, playing, getting citizenship, uh, playing for the national team, managing the national team, living in Israel for three years to be the national director um, and so I've sort of been in the mix with Israel baseball for, you know, over 15 years at three World Baseball Classics, the Olympics, um, and I'm still managing that team. Um, we're getting ready oh, for the European you, Championships in, in, yeah, in September. Yeah, we on the bench. You, you've got to tell us and let people know this is a gold medal winning team that you've been a part of. So uh, um, I think you got to brag a little bit, too. And the wins you had in the uh, in the Olympics in and uh, in the first World Baseball Classic, so gosh, a lot of success. Yeah, it's been a wild ride, and also you know interspersed with stops in the Cape League um, and uh, as a minor league coach for the Dodgers, and so it's just been a really long winding path sort of into professional baseball for me, not really in the traditional. Uh, route that you usually see that involve uh, living and playing and coaching in, you know, 20 or so different countries over the years. Right. Slightly different than the guy that did the minor league, you know, starting rookie ball and try to work his way through that. You took a different path in your professional baseball career. Yeah. Look, I would have loved to to just take a straight line to the big leagues. That was, (laughs) I think that was the plan all along from the time I was a child, but um, it just didn't happen that way for me, and I sort of had my own journey with baseball. And I, all these years later, I really appreciate it um, that it's sort of different um, than what you normally find. Well, and, and you know, a lot of times we talk on this podcast about uh, uh, the idea of genetics and environment, and certainly the genetics plays a part in that. You had the opportunity, you had the physical skill set, you had the drive. But it's about our environment and that, you know, that it was Nate Fish and the people around him. But I also want to add this idea of connecting creativity, which probably drove some of the decisions to, 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 to travel the world and learn and, and grow in a different direction, not just grow professionally in, in your career as a baseball player. So I'm, I'm, as we spoke prior to, to getting on and recording is, I look forward to connecting some of that creative part of who you are with with how does it connect to the baseball world. And I'll give you an example. I do a lot of work with interviewing, and I remember one time someone said, we don't want someone creative. And I said, oh, so you're not looking for a problem solver. And they said, oh, no, we need a problem solver. And I said, well, then you need someone creative. So a lot of times we uh, use creativity as a misnomer and just think of it as only poetry or art, but it's it's also how we approach our life, how we approach a day. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a part of who Nate Fish is. Yeah, that, it's funny that you mentioned problem solving. I mean, I, I kind of, when I'm painting or if I'm writing a long piece, I kind of do think of the of them as problems that I have to solve. I mean, not only do problems kind of arise throughout 
the creative process of making something and you lose confidence and you make a mistake or whatever, a happy mistake, maybe, um, there is a real problem solving element to every, the process. I think people think sometimes that creativity is this sort of spontaneous spark of inspiration and something happens really. It's sort of like forging something out of, you know, uh, time and editing and oh, no. uh, going back and forth and adding layers and chipping it away. And then hopefully it feels very natural, but it usually is not um, you know, a spontaneous thing. Absolutely. And, 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 and here's the other thing, you know, anybody, I'd love to have a muse and everything just comes to me, but uh, it, instead it seems like I'm scheduling time to do that creative work and, and it's grinding it. But I also love what you said, chipping away at, at, our, at our art or at our creativity and I, it reminds me that, you know, uh, here in, in, in uh, what we call the West, as we think about Western art, you know, we think that the, as we work on a canvas, that we are creating what's on that canvas. But when you think of Eastern artists, they so often talk about revealing what already exists and mm-hmm. talk about chipping away that I love that idea that it already exists. It's my job as the artist to reveal what already exists. Yeah, I think maybe if there's a connection between the creative process in baseball, it is that, I mean, baseball is really a grind. Um, and art is too, you know, it's a similar, you got to grind it out and do the work and it's not always going to be fun. Um, and so there's a real, there is a real similarity just in work ethic and, and, and how you commit to becoming good at baseball or any other discipline or sport and how you become good or cre- the things that you want to create. I also think these are sport, these are activities, you know, uh, I think it was Grantland Rice that said uh, sports is an opportunity to observe excellence. And, and with that uh, idea, uh, what comes with it is that we become open to, to, to constructive criticism, whether it's, oh, I love that piece, but gosh, I, I don't like those colors or whatever that might be that people now, or, oh, he's, he's as good at baseball. He's good, but he's not as good as. And and it's uh, uh, I think both are open to that idea that people think they can um, and and they can they can provide their opinion and uh, it's open to that criticism. Mm-hmm. So okay, well thank you. That gives us a, a, a little bit of a of a background. So now we kick into our our uh, four questions. The first one is outside of your parents or the people who who raised you, who were who was one or, or a few of the mentors in your life and what was that relationship? Yeah, um, it's funny. I think about this a lot, and there have obviously been a lot of people that have been amazing, that I've learned from, that have been influential. Um, A lot of them uh, have happened on the baseball field. Um, But I also sort of subscribe to this idea that, and I think this is also an Eastern idea, um, that whatever or whoever is in front of me is my teacher, and I can Mm -hmm. learn – from everyone, whether I'm learning something that I do want to do <laughs> or something that I don't want to do or a way that I want to be or don't want to be. Um, you're just sort of constantly absorbing and positioning yourself with and against everything in your environment. Um, and that's really, if I had to say, like, something that's had the most impact on me, it's, it's sort of a commitment to that idea more than to any one person. But, look, there's been a million coaches teammates, um, friends that I've learned so much from over the years. Um, and also from written material, I think as a writer, um, 
you kind of become friends with other writers like of the past those work you like and that is has been had just a really i can't even overstate the impact that reading has had on me and how much i think of those works as my teachers also right right and and i'm I'm gonna a couple of things the first one is how very jewish when you think about a, a faith that we share this idea that you know uh, when you think of of of, of the, the the torah of the old testament you know it, it's constantly being reinterpreted, and as you look at at, at uh, the Talmud, it's conversations with past rabbis and and this idea. So I love that thought that when you read a book, you're actually in a conversation or in in a relationship with that with that writer, with that author. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And then my question for you to dig deeper is: You're a new father uh, recently, and and I think one of my greatest mentors have been my kids. So how do you, as a new father, how do you see your 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 this this new person that you brought into the world being your mentor? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we just had my wife and I just had a, a baby girl a month about a month ago, June fourth. Um, and and thank you, thanks. It's our first. Um, and um, I don't know. I expected. I was sort of wondering what it was going to be like, uh, and like, is there going to be some big emotional revelation that I have right um, right when when she arrives or in the in the first weeks and there kind of hasn't been <laughs> um it but it has just been so much fun and mm -hmm. we just laugh at her even when we wake up at four in the morning we look at her we laugh at her and we just are so in love with her that mm -hmm. that lightness is is like an amazing new thing for us um and that joy and we'll learn so much from her. I mean, I wrote one of the books that I've put out over the last several years is poems for my wife, which is for mm -hmm. Shauna. Um, and I, I sort of feel myself slowly constructing in my mind the poems for my daughter, where as she grows, I tell her the things that I want her to know about her family or her future uh, and us and um, just have all of this information for her that maybe she's too young to sort of comprehend right now. But if I could have a collection like that for her in the future, um, things that we want her to know and learn, but also things that, like you said, that she's teaching us, um, I think would be, would be incredible, but it's just been so fun <laughs> so right. far. And, and inevitably we'll learn a lot, a lot, a lot from her. She goes through her phases and it's going to be fun for me to watch her become more aware and grow up slowly, hopefully slowly. Um, so yeah, we're headed for for a long uh, learning and loving process. And and don't underestimate this idea of lightness and this idea of I've now some of those you know that those world problems that we face seem different when when she's there and you're holding her. Uh, there's something to learn from that. You know, there's there's something that you're I think you're learning. I, I also. Uh, uh, love this idea of the people we meet. We, that there's a mentor in front of us all the time. There's a TED talk by a woman named Celeste Headley, and uh, her dad somehow had convinced her that everybody that came to their home was someone incredibly special. So she just grew up thinking everybody's incredibly special, and it was really just her dad selling every new person that came into the home. And I love this approach that everybody I meet is unique and has something to offer me. And here you are throwing that. They're also a mentor to you. Everybody, whoever's in front of you is one of my teachers. And so thank you for that nugget as well. Uh, so you've given us that nugget, but we also ask what, 
is something else that you've learned from these mentors? You talked about the many coaches and, and, and colleagues and players that you played with. What's some of the, the lessons that you've learned from them uh, that has helped you and you still apply in your personal and professional life every day? Um, there's so many. Let me see if I can think. I Look, I think that the most valuable sort of advice or feeling that you can give someone isn't maybe telling them what to do, but it is giving them the feeling that they already know what to do and empowering them to make good decisions. And so the things that these people, my parents especially, have given me, it's like people don't need to be told what to do. They just need to be supported. And if they have that, the right level of emotional support, then they'll Mm -hmm. make good decisions without being told explicitly what to do. And so a real gift that they gave me was that support without being like heavy handed with like, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. It really empowered me to feel like I had the strength to make good decisions. Um, And that is more of a feeling than like one piece of advice that someone is giving you and saying, oh, you should do this. But in some ways, I kind of believe like there's no such thing as good advice (laughs) in the sense that, that if I'm, if you're asking me something, you don't really want me to tell you what to do. You want me to make you feel like you already know what to do and to trust yourself because it's true. Um, and so that sense has been really, really valuable for me. I think that my parents have given me older coaches that have uh, entrusted me to, you know, uh, have responsibility on coaching staffs um, or whether I'm, you know, as a player, um, a captain of a team uh, to try to help lead the team. Um, I think that's that, that feeling that you give people that makes them feel empowered and safe where they can make good decisions is almost more important than me telling you like one like snippet that you can take with you. And it's, I think almost more of a, an emotional thing than like an informational thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I, what I'm kind of hearing is look, in, instead of, uh, and look, I, I Someone on the show said, hey, I love the dentist's office uh, on Nuggets, you know, the cat's hanging there and it says, just hang in there or something like that, you know, and uh, but but for me, it's all about relationships. And when you build those relationships where you can be uh, as genuine and vulnerable with each other, then you have an opportunity to uh, uh, provide them with the questions or the feedback they need to help them make a good decision. Yeah. I think, look, everyone knows what to do. I don't think, I don't think that we need to, and this is a bit of an epidemic, right? And where we like are trying to tell each other what to do instead of, instead of saying, look, you already know what to do. Listen to yourself, trust yourself. These are the kinds of like, like sort of internal guidance system points that you should be paying attention to, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to try and help you find that within yourself, you know? Well, and and so I'll ask this question of you, you know, you're, you're a new parent. We all hear about the helicopter parents and the bulldozer parents. uh, But what do you think about the idea of the safety net parents? You know, you're not, you're not out in front, you're not above, but you're, you're, uh, you're there to support them. if, If, if something hits the fan. Yeah, for sure. I think that's probably a good approach. Um, you know, you give them as safe of an environment as possible. Life is going to be hard enough. They don't need to be, it doesn't need to be any harder at, at home. Um, really, really safe place, but go out into the world, face the adversity that life inevitably will give you. 
Um, but you can always be here. This is a place where you could cut, can retreat to um, if, when you need it. But yeah, no one can really, I don't think, prevent um, the, all, all of the adversity that we inevitably are going to face. And I'm going to share, and I, I got, I'm going to have to tweak a little bit. I got to be a, a, a podcast host that thinks on his feet here because officially our next question is, what's the best advice you've ever been given? You've ever been given. But I would be silly to ask that question here. <laughs> so I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is, though. I'll tell you what it is. It's you already know what to do, right? <laughs> You don't need. I don't need to tell you what to do. You know what to do. L really, listen to yourself. I'm here, sounding board, whatever. But when people tell you that, it 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 really is good advice. Right. Well, okay. So I love that that this idea of of and in a way, what you're saying is I've got to I've got to build people up that they know the answer and that they've got to. It's not a matter of getting the right answer. It's a matter of having the confidence to move forward with that answer, with that solution, with that. Uh, what you need to do next, if you will. And, yeah, uh, I mean, if you're acting in good faith, if you're at, so the, there's a I, I'm not huge on, on quotes usually, but I think it's a Van Gogh quote. It says, "What is done in love is done well." Right. So yeah. if you're acting out of love, then the out the the results, regardless of what they are, you can feel good about it. It's really the right. intention that needs you need to concentrate on. Pay attention to why. You're doing what you're doing, not so much what you're doing, but like what's driving it. If I'm acting in love, I'm, I know I'm good. I can I can feel good about whatever happens, you know. Right, right, right. And and I also you're connecting to you know a, a guy I read, uh, Simon Sinek, who talks about that golden circle of why, and that if you always start with the why, then the mm -hmm. what and the how become much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm still going to tweak a question. You gave me an answer, you know. But Let's I'm, go. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm pushing deeper here. And one, uh, uh, the reason, for those of you that don't know, Nate Fish was a, uh, connected to me through another person that was on our podcast, Jason Bonder. And when I asked Jason this question, what's the best advice you've given, he said, nothing. All right. I like but, it. You know, and but his but he also followed with, You've got to ask them questions to, to help them reveal what their thoughts are and what they already know. So I'm going to ask you, what are some questions that you might fall back on as you help people, whether it's help them with their swing, help them get their butt down when they're fielding a ground ball or whatever it might be. What, are there questions you fall back on or is there something that you do as you try to generate a relationship with people that you may know for a short time, you may have uh, a significant age difference between you. Is there some way mm -hmm. you're generating that relationship or questions you ask? Yeah, it's actually, I'm I'm sitting here thinking it's so funny that I'm saying all this stuff about not telling people what to do because the job description in base, as a baseball coach is essentially that you do tell people what to do. <laughs> so you literally, you know, you're kind of bossing people around, but it, it, it is a dialogue. Every relationship when you get new players and you're beginning of the season or whatever, um, you, it has to start with questions, dialogue. Hey, what are you thinking? Where are you at? I have to learn a lot about you before I can start telling you what to do. But I also think of baseball as being somewhat of a separate space. So I, I do not really um, feel the same way if it's my job as a baseball coach to program your development. I am basically going to tell you what to do. I think 
when I talk about that, it's more off the field stuff. Life is just a lot more complicated than baseball, um, where where the, the environment and the rules are really simplified. And my role as a coach is to tell you what to do. So um, I think it's not it, to, it doesn't totally totally apply. There is quite a bit of direction that you need to give people, um, especially young people, when you're in charge of their of their safety and development. But um, Right. In that in that situation you're like a teacher more than mentor, if you will. Yeah. It's responsibility to ensure they understand the mechanics, the the science of the work. But if I were to yeah. look at the art of the work and we spoke earlier about that idea of who's our muse, how do we become creative? Sometimes you're not always in the mood to be creative. And as a coach, how do you inspire that person to work a little harder? Not not maybe the physical mechanics, but the relational end of it, in which you're trying to inspire them to change and whenever we try to inspire people to change sometimes we've got to help them be a little bit uncomfortable so that they're inspired to change and so is there with baseball do you find that there's there's some players that think gosh i i look man i was a star in my little league team star in my high school team and now here i am i'm gonna be a star here and you've got to help them see that maybe some of they were relying on physical skills not on mechanics and have to make some changes? Is there a, a technique or a tool you use to build that relationship or questions, or how do you find any ways with those, let's say, tougher to, to more mentor than teach? Yeah. I, look, I can't make you do anything as a coach or as a person in general, but it's more of this idea of guided discovery um, and letting you, helping you find the things that you need to find as opposed to me just giving them to you. So um, I think the, the first thing is to have that, have the enthusiasm that you want them to have for learning and um, and for the game or whatever you're working on yourself. And it can be a little bit contagious. Like if you're, if you're really uh, have the right spirit about the work, they hopefully will also. Um, but I can't really transform you either. If you're going to bring a certain energy to the work and there's no budging you off that, that's just how it is. Like I'm, I'm here to help you like discover everything that you need to discover and to do it with a lot of energy and love. But if you're not, if you can't do it, like I can't really like, I can't just transform you. You really have right. to do it yourself, you know? Exactly. And, and, and I want, as, as our audience is listening, I want you to hear as a, as a coach, and I use that term because that's actually the title, but also as a mentor, uh, uh, Nate uses the word guided discovery. That's something often you hear about from a therapist or when someone goes into therapy is, well, I want to help them through guided discovery. But you can see great leaders are always looking to put the ownership in, in the hands of the person who's doing the work, the, the person who's going through the change. But but as facilitators, we have responsibilities as well, and I love hearing you acknowledge that responsibility, both in the fact that you have one, but that you are not the person responsible for someone else's change. Yeah, it's their career and life, and I'm totally here. I'm sort of like assisting you through your process, not the other way around. It's not just a matter of you doing what I tell you to do because I'm the coach and you're the player. Right, I right. want you to be in charge of your own developmental process, and I'm here to help guide you through that because I've done it. I've been there before. I've done it with other people. We kind of know what works and what doesn't work. But it's really like you own, especially on in at younger levels. It's not so true. In professional baseball, it's to, it's 100 percent true. You're really right. in charge of your development, yeah. even though the organization might provide a lot of structure for you. You really have to own it. 
Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we talk about it all the time that if you can't take care of yourself first and, and know that you have to know who you are and what you want, the work you do, you can't help others. You can't, you can't be successful without uh, really uh, getting to know yourself first. And uh, so I'm going to push myself again because I don't want to ask this advice question and get caught up. But I also know that recently I listened to a, a, a talk by Ethan Hawke, the actor, who has a great talk on creativity if you ever get a chance to listen to. It's only about 10 minutes. But in it he talks about that, you know, people don't think about a poem until their father passes away. And suddenly they're looking for the right words and find poetry and and the need for creativity that it's vital in our lives. So how do you connect, or, and let me rephrase that, how do you, what are some of the cliches that you look to for people to hold on to? Uh, we all have these cliches and there are ways uh, for us to remember and remind ourselves. I don't want to call them advice. Uh, before we uh, started our podcast today, I, I used one. I said, there is no tiger and uh, a great piece of advice, if you will, but really a bigger picture advice. So what are some of those cliches, those ideas, those advices that you hold on to that resonate with you when things are going well or things are going tough? I mean, I think they'll build on the there's no tiger quote. Um, something that I find myself sort of repeating to myself is no magic. Um, right. You know, something, it's kind of like, if something's going to happen, you got to make it happen. There's not really a magic door <laughs> anywhere. Um, you got to do the work and put yourself in good position, like for something good to happen. Um, and so I, I, that is actually something I've told myself, you know, over the years to just like kick myself in the butt a little bit. Like not, it's not just going to happen. You know, you got to, right. you got to make well, it happen. Right. And I had a, I had a mentor that once said there is magic. It's called hard work. That's the matter. <laughs> right. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, this kind of brings us to our, our, our last question. It's my bonus question. And it's, what's the worst advice you've ever been given or may have inadvertently given someone else? Yeah, just the inverse. Any advice. <laughs> someone saying, hey, man, I need, uh, what do you think about this? And someone actually giving you an answer. <laughs> So if, if there's no such thing as good advice, and I say that obviously like with Jess, you know, there are times when um, you need a friend or a parent to really help you make a decision. But uh, anyway, anything that's heavy handed, unsolicited, people trying to tell you what to do, you can kind of feel it in your bones instinctually. This isn't right. Um, but, you know, you're giving me this information. I mean, we, we're all very easily influenced, right? Someone tells you something, you're going to, absorb it on some level and so we have to be really careful of what we tell each other um and if someone's being particularly heavy-handed or just trying to make you manipulative or make you do something that like you wouldn't have done naturally by yourself it always sort of feels bad you know right right no i i, I love that and and I, I wrote down you know what what we're looking for is a thought partner not a boss you know right. a boss exactly I want a thought partner that can walk through the whys and the hows and, and, and help me make a long-term change, not something that I do just because you're standing in front of me. And uh, I, I love exactly. that. Nate, before exactly. we go, something you've created uh, with, I think, your family, but maybe you'll just take a moment to tell us a little bit more about Footprint because I really am excited about this. 
and it's and, and, and this podcast is not about promotion or anything. It's about people. But this 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 application is about people. It's about family. So if you could take a moment and tell us just a little bit about it. Yeah. So uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, I sort of pivoted uh, a little bit out of baseball. I still have one foot in the door because I'm coaching the national team still, but uh, out of professional baseball. And I started a tech company. Uh, I founded a product called Footprint. Uh, it's a mobile application for families to store and share important information for their kids throughout their lives and then give it to them later as a gift. Um, this is something we've always tried to do anyways with, you know, like shoe boxes in the attic or carving our initials into trees or some way to preserve and transmit all of this important information and feelings and memories and uh, even more practical stuff like uh, money um, <laughs> right, to, right. Our chil- to our children and just provide them security. So uh, anyway, this is the digital version of that of that human impulse that we've always had. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, one way to think of it is a, a digital time capsule for families when they're when children are born. You start them a footprint account. Um, you invite friends and family into the account, and that group stores and shares information, photos, videos, and more uh, with one another and with the child. And then when the parents decide, they give them their footprint account as a gift, and it's a way for kids to inherit and own and control their own digital identity. Um, which is a super important issue that's sort of emerging digital privacy for children has really been uh, becoming more of a mainstream issue. And I realized when I, it seems like a bit of a kind of random pivot um, to start a tech company, but it's very much in the vein of all of the creative work that I've done. And I realized I was making art for all these years for that same reason to try to capture and preserve and transmit feelings and life and experiences um, and this is just sort of a technological version of that same uh, instinct to record and uh, chronicle um, <laughs> life right. as as it happens. You know. Well, look, look. People write autobiographies. You know, it's to be, it's to answer the question, "What is my legacy?" And I think if for all those of us, as we get older and as we have kids, our legacy is our family. And and I want to also acknowledge that another thing you can do with footprint is look. Nate Fish in 2023 is going to share some thoughts and ideas to his footprint account. You, you do have a footprint account, right, Nate? I'm just checking. You of know, course. For, well, I have, a, I have a footprint account for our daughter, and it is right. blowing up. We got 30 people in there and all the right, messages right. and documents that we want to know where they are. I mean, it, it's already, you know, there's tons of content in there. But here's the thing. Nate Fish of 2023 is putting something in there. But in, in five years, Nate Fish of 2028 is going to be a different person. He's going to evolve. And he's going to put stuff in there. And it gives your daughter a chance to not only know who you are as she is becoming a young person and a young adult adult, but she gets to look back and know who you were in 2023 and 2030 and 2035. And so I really hope people uh, – how can they – where can they – access footprint sure sure yeah uh in the app and, and play google play stores just footprint family app um and it comes right up or you can visit uh footprint dot app that's our website or look for footprint family app on any social media um and you'll find us and it'll sort of direct you on on where to um download and use the product but yeah it's honestly it's really it's amazing and uh as a new parent using it it's been really incredible and it's um, it's just a, it's a great tool, and I really believe everyone pretty soon is going to have one of these things. 
Oh no, and I I, I agree, and and you know I have uh, my kids are are you know just getting married. Uh, no, I am not a grandparent yet, but I I strongly recognize that this will be a tool that I'll use. I've already recommended it to my niece who just had a baby because once I saw it, I thought this is exactly what she needs. And um, it's kind of a digital legacy. I love this idea of legacy. We always are concerned about it. And here you're giving people an opportunity to safely create a legacy that they can, that they don't have to do in some sitting when they're 70 years old writing their life autobiography. So uh, those of you that are listening, I hope you get a chance to take a look at it. And, and Nate, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, uh, I couldn't say enough. I look forward to uh, continuing the, the, the friendship. Thanks a lot, Howard. This was fun. Thank you to Nate Fish. What an outstanding opportunity to visit with him today. I want to start with where he left off, and that's with the Footprint Family app. What a great idea to ensure that you're handing a legacy down to your family in a safe and secure way. Check out Footprint Family app on Google Play or at the App Store or go to footprintfamily.app. But I also want to point out that not only did Nate bring us those ideas, but he allowed us to connect the power of relationships in mentorship. And I love this idea that Western art sees the idea that we create and Eastern art sees the idea that we reveal. And so much of what Nate talked about was allowing us to learn through him revealing ideas to us. And to you, Nate, I'll remind you that that early meeting with Kevin Euclid, well, that's just excellence meeting excellence. Thank you once again to Nate Fish, our guest, and thank you to our listeners, for without you, we don't have a podcast. This has been Lead a Horse to Water. My name is Howard Paley, and this has been a Bob Tonawanovitz production.